Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. I'm thrilled to introduce our speaker today. Um, Eric Jesperson is uh, just the most extraordinary person and you're going to hear his story so I'm not going to tell you it but uh, his story is remarkable. Eric and Rebecca planted Woking Vineyard Church uh, about 20 years ago and uh, as many of you know that we're coming together with uh, uh, Woking Vineyard to plant uh, Emmaus Woking in September and uh, we're in the middle of church plant training. It's all going great. They've got this fantastic uh, it's not just a venue, but uh, there's a whole sort of network of different ministries uh, right by the station there in Woking, and you're going to hear more about that. And Eric and Rebecca, I'm thrilled to announce, are going to be from September our new Heads of Transformation, uh, helping us right across the area to make a difference amongst the poor, the broken, the marginalised. So I want you to get to know them. Uh, but they're dear friends. I, Eric is one of the most encouraging people I've ever uh, met. And uh, he, he's, he's just a complete legend. So I'm just so thrilled that he's going to come and share from his heart uh, for all of us now. So uh, why don't we welcome him? Where are you, Eric? There you are. Come on, Eric. Thanks, Pete. Um, Great to be here. Wow, wasn't that a great time of worship? Um, God's presence, very easy to speak into that, just, uh, just precious. And uh, I'm always slightly kind of embarrassed the way Pete introduces people. I kind of think, I'd really like to meet the guy you just talked about. Sounds like a good guy. But, um, you know, as I reflect on that, I actually think, you know, Pete's kind of exuberant way of, of, of uh, talking about people, it really captures the Father's heart towards us and, uh, and just speaks to each one of us about how he sees us. Perhaps like that word earlier about a parent with their child on the stage, just thinking, I know anything's possible for you. And uh, I just am so touched by the way uh, Pete does that. You know, one of my favorite scriptures is Romans 4.20, where talking about Abraham and his journey, it's looking back on his life and it says, Abraham didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God. You know, he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God. He was fully persuaded that God had the power to do everything he had promised. Now, if you've read Abraham's story, you might want to slightly disagree with that aversion of of his story because actually he did have some ups and downs. He went on some kind of tangents and diverted his course a bit. Sometimes he wasn't fully persuaded that God had the power to do all he had promised and he try to take control and make things happen himself. And, uh, and yet, looking back at the narrative, God says, Abraham started here and he ended here. And rather than seeing this kind of wiggly line of ups and downs, I'm just going to draw a line from that point to that point and say, Abraham, you got there. You did a great job. You were faithful. You reached the promised land. You got to where you needed to go. And, uh, and I just love that version of looking back. And I think God is like that with all of us. You know, we may feel like we have all those ups and downs and waverings and all that. But actually, God 
speaks to us with that encouragement and says, I know that in every seat here this morning is a potential hero of the faith, is someone who is faithful, who has the capacity to reach the promised land, whatever that looks like, whatever your call is. So uh, thanks, Pete. I love that. That was nothing to do with what I'm supposed to be talking about this morning. Um, I've been asked to share a bit of my story, and uh, that'll kind of lead into the lighthouse. Um, So I'm going to try and do that as briefly as possible. But I wanted to start with a scripture. And the reason I want to start with this scripture is it kind of anchors, for me, my story. Uh, This is what everything kind of rotates around. And so it's a scripture, just one verse from Paul's letter to the Philippians, Philippians 1.20. So I want to read that to you. I'm going to pray ever so briefly and then uh, share. Philippians 1.20, Paul writes this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. God, with the central truth of this, just the heart of Paul writing here, just resonate in this place as I share its central place in my own life, my own story. I just pray, Jesus, you would be exalted right here, right now, in all our lives. Amen. So I came to faith, age 18, late one night, in my bedroom, on my own, on my knees, and I prayed this kind of brave, crazy prayer to God, giving Him my whole life. And uh, the ceiling didn't tear open, angels didn't come down, there wasn't smoke or anything, although I have to confess I did look up just to check maybe something supernatural might happen. But for me, it was a profound moment in my life. It was really important, and it was a big prayer for me to pray uh, because my backstory to that was incredibly messy. And I don't have time to say much about it this morning except to say that I came from a very broken background, um, a family marked by uh, alcohol addiction and violence, uh, uh, not a lot of love around, very, very troubling upbringing. And, uh, and I had found my identity and my place in music, in drugs, in certain kind of lifestyle. And for me to pray this prayer was a way of, um, I knew it would be incredibly costly for me to follow Jesus and to give him my whole life. But for me, it was an absolute surrender. It was an exchange of lives. And uh, it was a whole life exchange. And that's how I've always understood coming to Jesus, is it's a whole life exchange. It's a a wholesale thing. It's not just a little bit. You know, I've never understood the kind of idea of Jesus being like a a handy app on my phone that I, I might just click on when I need a bit of hope or a bit of encouragement or healing or rescue. But it, it's, it's all in. It's absolutely everything to Jesus. And, uh, and so that's been my, my whole way of doing that. And I knew that as I prayed that prayer that night and gave myself to Jesus, it would cost me all my friendships, 
because my whole lifestyle was connected to those friendships and that was going to change. It would cost me all my idols, all my addictions, um, all my symbols of status, all my plans, all my ambitions, absolutely everything. It would cost me. In fact, I even got kicked out of home because of it. It it just cost everything. But I was so ready to make that exchange. And to be honest, for me, it was an easy exchange. It was a, a, a great deal because I was exchanging my messy, dysfunctional story for the most incredible life in Jesus being invited into his story and his adventure. And so I was ready to say yes to that exchange. I was ready for him to, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6, to purchase my life. It was a deal I was willing to do with him, and I was delighted to do that. And uh, and as I say, for me, it was just all in. In fact, even some of the first books I read when I came to faith were books about Stories of people who were just all in for Jesus. One of the first books I picked up was Floyd McClung's autobiographical, Living on the Devil's Doorstep. Um, I, I read Jackie Pullinger's autobiography, Chasing the Dragon. She spoke here recently, amazing woman, uh, just all in for Jesus. Uh, I read Keith Green's The Story of His Life, No Compromise, Uh, Jim Elliott's story, Under the Shadow of the Almighty, just all these accounts of people who gave their whole lives and were just all in. And, uh, And I just thought, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's exactly what it means, all in. Uncompromising, adventurous faith. And in fact, I got saved into a vineyard church, and the vineyard started by, was started through the story of a guy called John Wimber, who also was someone who gave his whole self to Jesus. He uh, gave up a huge amount. He was uh, challenged by seeing a man on the street wearing one of those sandwich boards, and on the front was a quote from the scriptures, from the Apostle Paul, in fact, saying, I am a fool for Christ. And on the back of the sandwich board, it said, whose fool are you? And John had walked past this person and thought, what an idiot, you know. But he couldn't get rid of of this probing question. And for him, when he came to faith and gave up his music career and uh, wealth and potential, he was becoming a fool for Christ. And he embraced that wholeheartedly. I got saved, as I say, through Vineyard, but also into a church plant. It was the second Vineyard church that was being planted in the UK. And so it was this kingdom culture of uh, all hands on deck, everyone in. And so one of the first things I did getting saved was go and sign up to serve. You know, it was like, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And so, you know, setting up chairs on a Sunday, moving crates, helping cars in the car park, looking after the kids, serving teas and coffee, whatever it took, because it was just all hands on deck. Let's just do this together. This is the adventure of the kingdom. And some of you are going to get in on the exciting adventure of this church plant in Woking and just the all in of that. It's an amazing, amazing adventure to get into. And I, I was actually led to Christ at that age. I was led by somebody. 
And there was this amazing girl that I met at college. She just seemed to kind of float through the crowds, sort of totally kind of unaffected by, you know, all the kind of, in, in, a, in a college, everyone's sort of insecure and needing approval from people and trying to be trendy or cool or um, looking around for everyone else's their reference point. And there was this person, this, this beautiful girl who just radiated something else and seemed totally untouched by all that neediness around, all the kind of needing approval, just seemed secure and full of joy, just smiling and radiant. And uh, she would come in in these kind of quirky clothing, these uh, shoes with ribbons for laces and uh, sort of vintage stuff she had picked up in a stall and a little leather suitcase and just totally in her own space, didn't care about anybody else, just knew who she was. And I remember going up to her, meeting her, and saying, whatever you have, that thing, I want it. I want it. And she said, that's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit in me. And so began uh, a friendship between this absolutely on fire uh, young Christian girl and this pot-smoking pseudo-hippie guy in college. And... uh, and uh, it was the most important friendship in my life. And of course, I ended up marrying her. Amen. <laughs> Philippians 1.20, this verse we read out, became my life verse. I remember going through a process of wanting to focus in life just and choosing a verse that I wanted to mark my life. And it was this statement from the Apostle Paul. And it was a statement marked by this courage, you know, that I want to live courageously and that I want Christ to be exalted in absolutely everything I do. In fact, not only how I live, but even how I might die, that Christ would be exalted and that I'd have the courage to do that. Uh, in the way I lived. And so for me, overcoming fear was a big thing. And I, my, my mission statement that I wrote at the top of this document I created was living on the edge without fear. And probably more honestly, it's living on the edge, trying as hard as possible to ignore the fear and do it anyway. But, but that's what I was trying to do. And I remember uh, there's a surfing brand called No Fear. And I picked up one of their t-shirts, and on the front it said, no fear. And on the back it had this, this huge statement that said, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. And uh, it was just my favorite t-shirt. My whole way of being was just all in, longing for my life and my lifestyle to exalt Christ, to live courageously. And even the word courageous comes from the French core. It's your heart. And it means to live wholeheartedly, all in, passionately, a strong heart to give yourself to God. And in, um, in Philippians 1.20, Paul talks about, you know, whether by life or by death. Paul was writing these words expecting imminent death. He was actually facing his death at the time and thinking, you know, he wasn't just being sort of throwing away comment. He was thinking, I might be dying very, very soon. But even in my death, I want to exalt Christ. And I started to think about that. I wonder what it would be like to be martyred 
And uh, would I be called to that? You know, how would I die? And I, I started obsessing over, you know, whether one day I would, I would die for my faith. And, you know, what, how well would I die in that? What kind of death could I cope with? Did I have the courage to be martyred? You know, and if it, you know, maybe if it was a quick death, it would be all right, you know. But, but if they were going to torture me and do nasty things, you know, I might want to pass out or cry or, you know, and how I would do that. And... Um, I started reading books like Fox's Book of Martyrs, most amazing book of, of people dying in amazing ways, just with incredible faith. And a more contemporary book, Jesus Freaks, again, just stories of people around the world in the persecuted church dying for their faith. And, uh, and I just became, you know, a, a, probably a little too intensively obsessed with how I might die one day. And uh, you could just imagine breakfast conversations, this newly married couple, and I'm saying, you know, darling, pass me the jam, and, you know, what are you thinking about death, you know, and how much I... And uh, I think to Rebecca's relief, you know, one day, Jesus just spoke to me, and he said this, he said, Eric, I'm not asking you to one day lay down your life for me. I'm asking you to lay it down every day. And it just flipped that whole perspective. And I realized that there were daily deaths that I needed to live in. You know, the laying down of rights, the laying down of human ambitions, the laying down of worldly status. There were daily deaths that Jesus was calling me to. And that's what I needed to live in. And actually, if we do that, if we live in that, should, however the story unfolds, any of us end up in that place of giving our lives in martyrdom for Christ, it will be a very short step because we will be so surrendered and so ready that for us to live would be Christ and to die would be gain. It would be a short step. So anyway, uh, early on in our marriage, uh, we just knew we were called to mission. So Rebecca and I immediately, as soon as we'd been married, started making plans to go on the mission field. Uh, just very excited about that. And God had already called Rebecca, uh, like as a 15-year-old, to missions. She knew what she was doing way before me. And so we decided to go off and work with Youth With a Mission we had the privilege of doing our initial training in Amsterdam where Floyd McClung had been based. And actually at the time that we went to Amsterdam, uh, it was, the base was being led by John Peterson, who we have since discovered is a great friend of Emmaus. Just lovely little pieces of the story. But we had the privilege of working there uh, for a short time in the red light district. Um, and Rebecca may have a chance to tell her story sometime, but she would literally go to the prostitutes in the windows and hand them roses to express God's love and dignity to them, show them his love, get to go and sit down with them and pray for them and, uh, and bless them. I was out on the streets uh, meeting drug addicts, and uh, we later went on to Hungary, to Budapest, and were working in orphanages and on the streets and in schools, and uh, just working out what it meant to follow Jesus in that way. When we were still in our early 20s, we went to Chicago, and uh, I had the privilege of preaching in Cook County Prison 
which if you've ever seen a film about an American prison, it was exactly like that. Um, just totally stereotypical, and, uh, and I remember um, being in this space. We were in this room, and all the seats were made out of concrete, so you couldn't pick them up and throw them at anybody or do anything violent. And uh, just as this kind of little service in the prison was about to start, they, all the prisoners were being filed in. I looked at the corridor, went to stand at the door to greet them, and it was absolutely, as you'd imagine, just all these guys walking down in orange jumpsuits, you know, muscly black guys. And I just thought, as soon as they're going to come in, one's going to pull out some sort of shank and, you know, and that would be it. And, uh, and so I sort of braced myself as they walked in and immediately they were just like, hey, brother, and were hugging me. And it was just a huge relief, but a wonderful, wonderful fun time in the prison there. In our mid-twenties, we returned to, Chicago, uh, to the UK, and when we were 25 years old, we, we went to plant the Vineyard Church in Woking. We moved there. And our purpose statement for the church was this, to pursue God wholeheartedly and cause others to do the same. That was what we wanted to do. And so immediately we moved in and to Woking and just wanted to start reaching out to our friends. We were hosting Alpha courses, running Alpha with anyone we could find, neighbors, people who thought we'd moved in to start a cult in the street, just anyone. We'd just say, come along, come along, find out. So we were doing Alpha courses. People we met in the park or anything. We did that. We ended up doing Alpha courses in the local health club and uh, just seeing God do some amazing things. I ended up getting... Uh, getting to mentor the manager of the health club, and uh, just saw God doing some really wonderful things. And so we went about the business of building a church, gathering people, trying our best to disciple people, reaching out. And just fast forward a few years. Um, if, if you've been around churches uh, for some time, um, you know, there's just a kind of thing that churches can kind of get stuck in, definitely not here. You guys are like on a mission from God. But, but it, it's easy to just get caught up with like we just do this Sunday thing and we have our little vents on the calendar and we, you know, just kind of tick all these certain boxes and, and, and kind of lose our sense of, of why we're even doing this. And I remember that moment hitting me 10 years into the, this church plant. I remember sitting at in a workshop for church, uh, church growth. It was a church growth workshop with other church leaders, and they were talking about how to get your Google ranking up for your church. And if, if you had visitors to your church, make sure you give the kids a free toy in the kids' group because that will make them come back. That will make their families come back the next week. And I sat there and just had this moment of thinking, did I step into the wrong workshop? Am I in a kind of regional managers for fast food chains workshop here? You know, that we're just trying to work out how to get more punters from the fast food chain down the road. What am I even doing? And it was this huge wake-up call for me. And... If that wasn't enough, God very dramatically stepped into my story to get my attention. And what happened was I broke my neck. Very subtle, very minor. 
God just tapping me on the shoulder, you know, as you hope he does. Very briefly, I was down at the coast with our family. I don't like the cold British water on the seaside, so my habit is to just run in and get wet quickly. So I ran into the water, jumped in, and struck my head on something under the surface, a rock or a sandbank or something, and the hyperextension of that broke my neck. Big drama, airlifted off the beach, flown off to a spinal hospital, um, seriously thinking I might be paralyzed from the neck down. They strapped me to a bed and wouldn't let me move for the whole uh, weekend, waiting for a consultant to come and tell me whether I was ever going to walk again. And in that place, it was kind of like when people talk about a near-death experience or something. For me, I just thought, that's it. My ministry's done. You know, I'm never going to have the opportunity to lead again and do things for God again. And I, I kind of had this, I really can't, I don't know whether it's just my mind or if I actually was lifted up into God's presence, but there was this conversation between me and God. And standing before him, trying to give account for my life, and God was just saying to me, Eric, why didn't you do that? And what about that thing? And, how do... and I was giving him these reasons, these excuses. And even as I was saying them, for why I didn't, I was afraid of what that person might think. I was concerned I would fail. And they just sounded like such lame excuses. I could just hear them coming out of my mouth. And I was like, yeah, I, I know it's lame, isn't it, God? But that's my feeble excuse. And I, I remember in that moment saying to God, if you would give me another chance, I promise I'll do it differently. I promise you, I'm just going to go for it again. And it was much like Abraham on one of his kind of little, you know, meandering moments. That was my meandering moment. And God pulling me back on track, back on course. And again, another whole series of miracles I don't have time to, to share with you. One day I'll get to tell you the story over coffee. Come to focus. I'll tell you around the campfire over a bottle of wine. And, uh, but, but, Incredibly, God miraculously healed my neck, and I left the hospital a few days later. And I remember standing up at church the first Sunday I got back. The whole church had been fasting and praying for me to be healed. And I stood up with this huge neck collar and a walking stick, and people were saying, Eric, are you going to take it easy? Is it, you know, you really probably need a few months to just recover. And these were my words I said, No, no more pussyfooting around. This is it, you know. We're making some changes around here. And, uh, and that started a journey of just, just kind of really leaning into uh, what God had put in my heart for his kingdom and to live courageously again. And that kind of coincided as that journey back to the initial call and the initial experiences I had had of ministering to the margins, prostitutes, drug addicts, homeless, prisoners, that kind of stuff. I, just as that stirred up in me again, I was reading Shane Claiborne's book, The Irresistible Revolution, and was so troubled by its description of what it looked like to be church. I, it just did not reconcile with what I had been doing in recent years. And, and so just felt moved by that. I was studying John chapter 19 where, where Pilate brings Jesus in front of the people and, uh, and he's beaten and he has this crown of thorns and he's half naked and he says to the people, this is your king. And Jesus was saying to me as I was reading that, do you accept me as your king in that moment? And in, in John 19, the people reject him. They're like, no, 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 that's not our king. How, 
How often do we receive Jesus in his weak and distressing disguise? That we would say, that's my king. I'm willing to be associated with him. I'm willing to stand with him in that brokenness, in that guise. Do we just want the victorious Jesus, the, the, the triumphant Jesus? You know, we'll stand with that one. And, uh, and so I was, I was deeply challenged to, to lead differently, to associate with a different kind of ministry of Jesus. And so we began to explore it with our leadership team and then with the church. What would it mean for us? Would we be okay with just being where Jesus is, what he's calling us to, even if it means we're hidden, even if it means as a church uh, we're seen as uncool because, you know, successful Christians would check us out and be like, I don't want to be around church doing that kind of stuff. And, and we just gave ourselves to that in that moment. We had a prophetic word at the time that said, open the doors of your hearts and open the doors of the church. And so we just opened our hearts and went out into the streets in any way we could. We were doing this thing called outside lights out on the, the, the rough housing estate nearby, uh, reaching out to the, the teenagers uh, on the streets, relationally reaching out to them, seeing God do some wonderful things. We started doing healing on the streets. We were doing street angels, um, doing fun days in the community, doing our jigsaw project, helping young families in need, just anything that would get us out on the streets. And it was into that context and that whole unfolding story that God led us, quite surprisingly, to what we now know as the Lighthouse. And this space in the center of Woking Town, we weren't, we didn't really know what we were looking for, but it honestly was just a miracle that God opened a door to us. And we were presented with this huge, cavernous, derelict space. And... God gave us the conviction and the faith to step into it and to do something with it. And just to show God's heart to the community. Not to find another venue to, to gather more Christians, but to show God's heart, to be a light. I love in the message in Matthew 5, it says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If, um, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. And here's God's heart. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. And so we just became determined to be that light, to show God's heart to the community in whatever crazy, imaginative, innovative way we could come up with. You know, healing people, feeding people, accepting people, supporting people, empowering people, just being the hands and feet of Jesus. We were started to be led by questions like, what is it like to be, for the church to actually be good news to the community, for the community to say, that's good news. Uh, we pray thy kingdom come, but what would it actually look like for the kingdom to come to our community? Uh, if our church disappeared overnight, would anyone outside of the church actually notice? What if 
we started counting the lives we touched in the community as our measure, rather than just the numbers on seats on a Sunday. What would that, and we, we began asking questions like that. And so as we leaned into the lighthouse and what God was doing and the incredible miracle around how we got the building, how we saw it come to life, um, we just felt ourselves drawn to Isaiah 61, the mission that Jesus gave himself when he stood up at the beginning of his ministry. And in the message translation, it says this. I just love some of the way it's drawn out. It says, the spirit of God, the master, is on me because God anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to announce freedom to all captives, to pardon all prisoners. God sent me to announce the year of his grace, a celebration of God's destruction of our enemies, and to comfort all who mourn to care for the needs of all who mourn in Zion, give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, messages of joy instead of news of doom, a praising heart instead of a languid spirit. Rename them oaks of righteousness, planted by God to display his glory. They'll rebuild the old ruins, raise a new city out of the wreckage. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what God calls us all to do? And I just want to draw out four very quick things from that that we've looked at. It's the first is to preach the good news. As I said, what, what does it look like to be good news for your neighbors, for the people in your street, the people in your workplace, the people in your community to say it's good news to have the church here. It's good news for you to be here. It's good news to us. It makes sense to us. And so doing that, to heal the brokenhearted, you know, to make a place that is a refuge, a place of welcome and safety and belonging, ministering love and acceptance and compassion to absolutely everyone in our community. To reverse hopelessness and negativity, you know, to place hope where there's hopelessness, uh, joy where there's grief, positivity where there's depression, you know, to give people those bouquets of roses, to, to love on them, to create a culture of honor and dignity where everyone who comes in feels absolutely loved and appreciated and special and significant. And then to restore original design, uh, you know, to rename people, to, in a sense, give them their original name back. That's what God calls them. And so to release their design and their destiny in them, no matter where they are in their story. And to be a magnet of God's goodness. People walk into the lighthouse and they just feel loved. They feel accepted. They feel God's goodness in the place. They have hope. They, their dreams are rekindled. So something in the atmosphere there. Beautiful, beautiful thing to lean into the kingdom of God. And so I know I'm sort of quite tight on time here. So just in summary, for us, we've, we've basically spent the past five and a half years uh, seeing the lighthouse established as just one little expression of that. 
But um, we're so excited, really, really fueled. We, we just bumped into some friends here who are visiting from Canada and happened to be here this morning. And, uh, and they said, how are you guys doing? And genuinely, we're just so excited about the season ahead. So excited for all God has in store. We're so excited for this partnership, this marriage with Emmaus that God has initiated. We're so excited about that. Just the new missional energy and resources and power passion. Uh, we love the alignment of values with you guys. Uh, just the, the prayer mission justice, you know, it just says who you are. And that is such a, a beautiful fit for us. And, uh, you know, when Pete on Vision Sunday pulled up that uh, picture from General Booth's um, uh, book that he, he did in the 1800s called Out of Darkness, um, you know, I just... It's exactly this bold visual representation of how we want to be this lighthouse and all these lifeboats and, and this a bold plan of how to restore people to what God had created them for, to bring the kingdom meaningfully to communities. We're so excited to work with you guys to see God just do so much more. And I mean, why wasn't it apparent in the worship today? God is on the move. Aslan is here. He's roaring in our nation. And we as a church are called to wake up, to rise up, to go with him. And uh, these are amazing, amazing days. So good to be alive in this time. Personally, it's a season for me of taking another step forward in that adventure. Back to Philippians 1.20. How do I live courageously? How do I do this? As courageously as possible, as much as possible, ignoring the fear and doing it anyway. The daily choice of laying down rights, need for certainty, laying down need for position or, or all of that kind of stuff. Just laying down control and joyfully embracing this lifestyle of trust and faith. And that's kind of where I want to circle back to just as a response today is I want to lead us in a prayer of response. Wherever you might be, you may, you may have been in church your whole life and, uh, and have never really wholesale said, Jesus, you can have every piece, every piece. And, uh, and just to come back to that place, whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time, come back and say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in. Everything I have is yours. Maybe you're here today and you've never stepped in a church before. You're not even sure who this person Jesus is. But I just want to invite you to jump in, to say, I'm all in. I'm all in, Jesus. I want to take this risk today. I want to say you can have my life if I can have yours. And, uh, and just to pray that brave, courageous prayer with all the uncertainty but all the adventure that's in that. And so I want to do that, and I wondered if it's not too much to ask whether the band would come up and just let us sing that song we did, I Surrender All. And I, I wonder if you would stand with me as we pray this prayer. And uh, if I can pray it, and maybe Pete will come up and just help us navigate and uh, respond to this time appropriately. But um, 
let's just enter this exchange. And as we do, let me read the scripture over you and then I'm going to pray. Romans 8, again in the message, it says, It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he will do the same thing he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be alive as Christ's. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? So God, we stand before you today. Some of us for the first time, some of us needing to do this just once again. Saying, God, we give you our all. Jesus, we surrender our all. We do that bravely but wisely. Um, just saying that it's the best thing we could ever do to trust you with it all. And we let go of our rights. We let go of clinging to certainty or control. And we just say you can have it all today. We love you. We want to respond to the adventure you're calling us to. Some of us, it's to jump into this church planting adventure. Some of us, it's to, to reach out into our communities. Some of us, it's to say yes to exactly what is calling, uh, God is calling us to do in the life of this church. You know it, and the Spirit is stirring it into you, and you just need to give God your best yes today. So we say yes to you. Yes to you. Would you be exalted in our lives? God, may we never, never be ashamed. And may we have sufficient courage so that now, as always, you would be exalted. Amen. Thank you, Eric. We're going to um, draw things together by singing this song once more through, I Surrender All to Jesus. And um, I, I sense very strongly that we need to give opportunity in the singing of this song for some people to um, literally just come and kneel at the front here. And just because of time, we're not going to get into like prayer ministry and stuff. But I'm reminded in the early days of the Salvation Army, they would always have what they called the penitent form at, at the front. It was a, a kneeling bench. And it's where you came and just did business with God. And it seems to me that when God has spoken to us about waking up and the lion roaring, that for some of us here, that, that was God's word to you today. Wake up. There's a, a sense of a calling to greater intentionality and greater authority. 
And listening to Eric, one of the great messages coming through again and again is about a courageous spirit. Thank God he was willing to give up all his friends and follow Jesus. Thank God uh, that when he was uh, lying there with a broken neck, he said, no more pussyfooting around. Thank God for the hundreds and hundreds of lives that have been changed. It's as important as that. And I just sense it might be just two or three people, it might be more, that today you need to choose to wake up, to choose to step into a more courageous spirit. And you're just aware that that's you. And no one's going to quiz you, why are you responding, what are you doing? This is between you and God, but in the presence of the people of God. So we sing this. I just want to invite those who are sensing that's really specific for you today. A courageous spirit. The battle is God's. Wake up. That, that, you, you, you don't wake up by doing nothing. You wake up by moving and acting. And so as we sing this now, I wonder if, um, you know, for all of us, surrendering is relevant. I have, you know, someone once said the trouble with living sacrifices, they keep getting, getting off the altar. You know, you have to keep sacrificing yourself. We have to keep surrendering. In marriage, you have to keep surrendering. But um, so we're all going to sing this, but just for some of us, your act of surrender, and it might even be something, some stuff around pride, just I don't want people to see me do this. But I just want to make the space for those who'd like to just to come and kneel at the front as we sing this, to surrender very specifically again to Jesus Christ. Is that okay? And you'll know what it's about. So... Um, uh, just what, what, those who are sensing that's you, why, and even if you're in the balcony, why don't you just make your, begin to make your way down here now and just kneel at the front, do your business with God. Um, just maybe kneel at the front of the stage here and scoot in. And let's just sing this song together and give out all again to Jesus Christ. <laughs> 